seated. As you're doing so, please take your Bible and turn to Exodus chapter 20. As we continue our sermon series through the book of Exodus and through the Ten Commandments today, uh, as you have already seen, we'll, we will be looking at the fourth commandment, which is Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 8, this is what the Holy Spirit says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to Yahweh your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days Yahweh made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do confess together that we have no other king but Jesus, who is the Lord of all. And our song eternal is that Jesus is better. So we ask now through your word and through the sacrament that you would make our hearts believe. We pray these things, our Father, in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we all know that the greatest dynasty in sports history is obviously the New England Patriots from 2001 to 2019, the Tom Brady era, if you will. It was in that time that Robert Kraft, who was the owner of the Patriots, Bill Belichick, who is the head coach of the New England Patriots, and of course Tom Brady, who was the starting quarterback, won six Super Bowls, and they set records that will probably never be broken in the NFL. And one of the many reasons why the Patriots had sustained success during this period of time uh, was their approach to how they worked, their work ethic, their practice, their attention to detail. Two of the mantras that were popular in New, New England during this time were, number one, do your job. Don't worry about doing someone else's job. Do your job. And number two no days off. No days off means that we're working every day. No days off means that football is our life. No days off means there is no rest. No days off. Well, we live in a culture that embraces this no days off mentality, don't we? Rest is not a very high priority for many people. We're working overtime, we have a side hustle, and then we have to get the kids to school, and then we got to pick the kids up from school, and then we need to get them to practice, and then we need to pick them up from practice, and then when that season's over, the next season starts. We have a 24-hour news cycle, we have instant information on the internet, because we're on the go, we need instant coffee, and we need fast food, and we just don't prioritize rest. This is not 
a uniquely American problem. It's not even a uniquely modern problem. Our resistance to rest is a tale as old as time. In the ancient Near East, people worked all day, every day. But it wasn't to build their 401k, or it wasn't to stock up on PTO, or it wasn't to build their brand. People in the ancient Near East worked all day, every day, so that they had food, so that they could eat, so that they wouldn't die. It was in that culture, a culture where working meant eating, and in a culture where working meant living, it is in that culture that God gave his people the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And the fourth commandment is just as important for us today in 2023 as it was for Israel at Mount Sinai hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. So as we look at the commandment this morning, we want to think through these things, same things we've thought through each of the first three commandments. What does the fourth commandment or what did the fourth commandment mean to ancient Israel? How do we understand the fourth commandment in wake of the good news of Jesus Christ? And finally, how do we apply the fourth commandment rightly to Christ Community Church today? So let's start with what the fourth commandment meant for ancient Israel. In the fourth commandment, Yahweh is giving his people, Israel, a rhythm of work and rest. The word Sabbath, remember the Sabbath day, is a transliteration of the Hebrew word Shavat, which means to rest. Remember the day of rest, is what Yahweh is saying. God's people were to complete all of their work in six days so that the seventh day would be dedicated to worship and to rest. It's important for us to remember that the five-day work week and the two-day weekend that we're used to is actually more of a modern invention. During the time of the Exodus, Israel and honestly all other ancient people groups were agrarian. Uh, if, again, if they didn't work, they didn't eat, and if they didn't eat, they didn't live. Working meant living, not working meant dying. But Yahweh here calls his people to remember the Sabbath day, remember the day of rest, to keep it holy. The word holy is the Hebrew word kadosh. It means to be set apart or to be consecrated. So this is a day of rest that's set apart. It's unique. It's different than all of the other days. The people of Israel were to abstain from work every Saturday because God was not only instructing his people to rest their bodies, but he was also teaching them that they needed to rest their souls. The Sabbath was holy. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's set apart, it's consecrated, it's other. It's not merely a day off work, but it is a day of spiritual rest, a day of spiritual worship. Rabbi Kasudo, he was a, a famous rabbi and Hebrew scholar, 
uh, in the late 1800s, early 1900s. This is what he said about the Sabbath. He said, liberate yourself from the burden of work of six preceding days. Dedicate it not to your body, but to your soul. Not to material things, but to things of the Spirit. Not to your relationship to nature, but to your relationship to the creator of nature. So the Sabbath was not merely a break from physical work, but it's also a day of spiritual worship. It's a day to refresh your body. It's a day to refresh your soul. We also can't miss how the Sabbath made Israel distinct. It made them different from every other people group in the ancient Near East because there was no other people group that would set aside a whole day for worship and rest. This was unique. This is intentional on Yahweh's part because the Sabbath is the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. Just like the rainbow was the sign of Noah's covenant and uh, circumcision was the sign of Abraham's covenant, the sign of the covenant with Moses is the Sabbath. It was the weekly sign pointing God's people to who God is and how God saved them. How does the Sabbath point us to the character and the salvation of God? In the fourth commandment, we see a distinct, uh, we see a humanitarian distinction. Uh, you, pro- you, you might have even picked up on it as uh, Pastor Andrew read from the version of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy during our confession and pardon, that Yahweh makes a point to say, you were slaves in Egypt. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. God cares about the well-being of his people. He rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt through Moses, the mediator. In Egypt, the Hebrew slaves were often worked to death. Literally. But God will not treat them in that way. In fact, not only will God not work them to death, God will require them to rest. They don't have a choice. They must rest. And the command to rest is applied to the entire community. In verse 10, it shows us that it's not just the men of the community or not just the the men and the women, the free of the community. It's the entire community, the children, the servants, the animals, even sojourners, even people who are visiting, even people who are just staying in Israel for a period of time before they move on. Everyone must observe Sabbath. Everyone must rest. In Deuteronomy, he makes it a point to say, do not work your servants on the Sabbath. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. All living creatures are required to rest and worship on the Sabbath. But the Sabbath didn't only carry a humanitarian distinction. It also carried a theological distinction. The Sabbath is teaching us about God. And we see it both in creation and in redemption. Genesis and Exodus. Genesis 1 through 2 reveals to us that when God created the world, he followed a pattern of work and rest. And Moses recapitulates it in verse 11. He says, For in six days Yahweh made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. 
So in creation, God himself is following a pattern of work and rest. The first six days of creation follow a very similar pattern, if you read Genesis 1. With each of the days, it says there was evening and there was morning on each day. But it doesn't say that on the seventh day. On the seventh day, it just says that God rested. There is no morning and evening refrain for the seventh day. Why? Because God's Sabbath, the Sabbath that God took himself, there's intention here. Don't miss this. God wasn't tired. God's never been tired in in his history of existence, which is eternal. He's never once been tired. So why did God rest? God rested to enjoy what he created. And he rested to give us a pattern for living, work and rest. And that Sabbath, that seventh day Sabbath, where there's no morning and evening refrain, points us forward to the eternal rest that God is giving his people. God created his people then in his image to follow a pattern of work and rest. Part of being created in the image of God is that we are made to work and that we are made to rest. Work is good and work glorifies God. God is a God who works. And so we accurately represent God when we work well. Adam was commanded to work even before the fall in Genesis 3. So Genesis 3 and the curse reveals to us that our work will now be tumultuous because of sin. And rest is even more welcomed after the fall because work is even more difficult because of sin. But don't mistake this. The pattern of work and rest existed before the fall. God did it in creation and God gave it to Adam. He is to work and he is to rest because it's grounded in the very character and nature of who God is. God is a God who works and he is a God who rests. The, the command to work and rest reminds us that we are to be like God, but also that we are not God. We are created beings. We are not omniscient. We are not omnipotent. We are not omnipresent. Rest is necessary for us because we are finite. We need sleep. We need to recover. We need to rest. So God gives us the command to rest because we are his creatures and we cannot sustain on our own. But God also requires a day of rest because he's teaching his people that they need to trust him. They need to trust God to provide for them. Again, this is a foreign concept to us because many of us are used to a two-day weekend. This can be difficult for us to understand, but in the ancient Near East, the pagan peoples viewed the Sabbath as foolish and lazy. The nations viewed the Sabbath as a, a waste of time because they could be working and they weren't. Time is money, and so resting means no money. In 65 AD, so this is you know, some 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, 65 AD, Seneca attacked the Jewish Sabbath. 
He denied that the Sabbath was useful, and he even considered the institution to be harmful. Listen to what Seneca said of the Jews and the Sabbath. He said, by taking one out of every seventh day, the Jews lose almost a seventh part of their own life in inactivity. And many matters which are urgent at the same time suffer from being attended to. Hmm. Maybe some of you kind of agree with Seneca. You know what Seneca and others, and maybe even you, are missing? What you failed to understand? Is that God is the author and the owner of all time. Our time is not our own, but belongs to God. So we must trust God that worship and rest are not a waste of time. They are a valuable use of God's time that we are called to steward. We know that Yahweh took the Sabbath very seriously because the penalty for breaking the Sabbath under the Old Covenant was severe. The law required those who broke the Sabbath be executed by stoning. This was capital punishment to break the Sabbath. The author of 2 Chronicles tells us that part of the reason why Israel went into exile was because they did not keep the Sabbath. God takes the Sabbath very seriously. And because people are sinners, what we do is we fall into a ditch on either side of the right path of God's command. Israel fell into the ditch of lawlessness as they perpetually broke the Sabbath, which led them to being exiled out of Jerusalem. In the centuries following the exile, the Jewish people started fencing the Sabbath to try to keep Israel from breaking the Sabbath. But in doing so, they then fell into the ditch on the other side of the road, which is legalism. So you have God's command, the Sabbath command, or any command, honestly. And on either side of the road, you can fall into lawlessness or you can fall into legalism. Of course, Israel throughout her history did both. Pastor Kevin mentioned this last week with the third commandment. You shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain. That, that uh, during the first, preceding the first century, they started putting a fence around it. Well, you can't, even, you can't even say God's name lest you break the commandment. You can't even write God's name lest you break the commandment. What are those? Those are extra-biblical legalistic rules that are binding the consciences of the people, and that's not what God said. What did God say? He said, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. He didn't say you can't say it. He didn't say you can't write it. They were adding these extra layers to try to protect the commandment, but what they were doing was putting an undue burden on the people, and they were calling sin, they were calling something that was not sin, they were calling it sin. They did the same thing with the Sabbath. They tried to protect the Sabbath. Well, we got exiled for not keeping it, so now we're going to keep it extra hard. We're going to go hard on keeping the Sabbath. We need to protect it. By the first century, the Sabbath had become a burden instead of a blessing. The Pharisees had created arbitrary rules to protect the Sabbath that had nothing to do with following the fourth commandment. The Pharisees told the people that they were not allowed to pick grain on the Sabbath. 
Pastor Mike read from Matthew chapter 12, where they rebuked Jesus for picking grain on the Sabbath. Women were told not to look in the mirror lest they pick a gray hair. And that might be considered work. This wasn't me, it was the Pharisees. People were told that they ought not walk more than two-thirds of a mile on the Sabbath lest they sweat and it be considered work. Tending to the sick or the injured was forbidden on the Sabbath unless it was life-threatening. But none of those things were explicitly commanded in the fourth commandment, were they? What did the fourth commandment say? It said, remember the Sabbath day and do not do any work. That's what it says. Now, we can have conversations about how to wisely apply that. But what the Pharisees were doing were they were taking extra biblical rules and binding the consciences of God's people by calling something sin that was not sin. That's what legalism is. So they, they were falling in both ditches, right? They have periods of time where they're neglecting the Sabbath and then they're trying to, to make everyone do more than God commands on the Sabbath. Sometimes Israel fell in the ditch of lawlessness. Sometimes they fell into the ditch of legalism by adding to the Sabbath. But either way, the truth is that Israel could not keep the fourth commandment. And neither have we. Here's the bad news. We have broken the fourth commandment. During our confession and pardon, Andrew led us through the Ten Commandments, and called us to confess to God that we've broken God's law. The law reveals our sin to us, and we have. We have. We have broken the fourth commandment in thought, word, and deed. We have broken the fourth commandment by what we have done, and we have broken the fourth commandment by what we have left undone. That's the bad news. But the good news is that Jesus never broke the fourth commandment. Jesus followed the fourth commandment, and Jesus is the fulfillment of the fourth commandment. Jesus of Nazareth is the only human who ever lived, who kept, and did not break the fourth commandment. Jesus, now again, we want to we be clear. Mike read it from Matthew 12. Jesus didn't keep all the extra biblical legalism that the Pharisees required for the fourth commandment. That's why part of the reason why they were so mad at him. He wasn't keeping their made-up rules. He broke a lot of those. But Jesus kept the fourth commandment, the actual fourth commandment. Jesus followed the pattern of work and rest given by God to men. Jesus never broke the fourth commandment in thought, word, or deed. And Jesus never broke the fourth commandment by what he did or by what he had left undone. And because Jesus never broke God's law, Jesus is the only righteous man who has ever lived. He is truly and perfectly righteous. And because Jesus is righteous... He could offer his life on the cross to God to atone for the sins of his people. 
And as Jesus Christ bore God's wrath on the cross for the elect, what does Jesus cry out? It is finished. Through his life and through his death, Jesus accomplished the work of redemption for all of his people. The Gospels tell us that when Jesus died on the cross, that the curtain in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies was torn in two because the barrier, the barrier that the law revealed and the barrier that had existed since the garden between God and sinful people, that barrier of unatoned for sin had been removed. And it was removed because of the sinless life and the substitutionary death of the Son of God. And because his work is done, Jesus resurrected from the dead and he is now a seated priest at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. It's amazing. Read Hebrews 10 later. It talks about how the priests never sit down because there's always sacrifices that need to be made. But Jesus is our great high priest and he is seated because the work is done. Through his life, death, resurrection, Jesus earned the eternal rest for all who believe. And while that eternal rest has been inaugurated in our hearts and souls, we are still waiting for the day when the shalom and the Sabbath rest of Eden is restored. And that's why Hebrews 4.9 says that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Because when Jesus Christ returns, he will raise the dead, judge the world, and make all things new. And on that day, sin and death will be no more, and everything sad will be untrue. And the picture that the Sabbath was pointing us to will be fulfilled. We will have eternal peace, eternal rest with God. So in this way, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. It's not just that Jesus kept the Sabbath. The Sabbath was about Jesus. The reason Yahweh gave his people the Sabbath was so that it could point them forward to his son Jesus. The rest that we experience in Christ alone. Again, Pastor Mike read from Matthew 12. Jesus calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Indeed, there's a sense in which the Sabbath was made for the man, Jesus Christ. The Sabbath reveals to us our need for rest. And listen to me. We can only find true and final rest in Christ. That's it. And so now as we think about applying the fourth commandment, like we talked about ancient Israel, we talked about Jesus, man, that was 2,000 years ago, that was a long time ago. How do we think about the fourth commandment today in, in 2023 for Christ Community Church? Well, the first thing we have to say 
We just alluded to it. We, we, we must make this clear. It's impossible to obey the fourth commandment apart from faith in Jesus. It's impossible. It's futile. It's useless. Apart from faith, it is impossible to please God. Quoting a lot of Hebrews today. Some's in my notes, some isn't. There's a lot, you know, that's good. Good stuff. Good book. You must repent and believe the gospel. We have to start there. That's our everything. That's the air that we breathe. So what does that mean? To repent means to turn from your sin and to turn toward Jesus. To repent means to acknowledge that you are a sinner, to agree with what the Bible says about you in your spiritual condition, to agree with it, to submit to it. The Bible is right. If we say we have no sin, deceive yourself. Are you deceived this morning? Do you think you're not a sinner? Are you calling the sinful things you're doing something other than sin? You are deceiving yourself. You must agree with God that you are a sinner and you must turn from that sin and you must turn toward Jesus. You must have faith in Jesus. You must know who Jesus is and what Jesus did. You must actually believe those things about him are true. You have to assent to the validity of Scripture's claims about Christ. And finally, you have to trust. You have to transfer your trust to Jesus alone. You have to place the full weight of your righteousness on Jesus. That means if you were to stand before God and he were to say, why shouldn't I send you to hell for your sins? That all you've got is Jesus died for my sins. And I'm trusting in Jesus. That's what that means. Not just to give lip service to that, but to genuinely to believe it. To know that if you were to die today, that that is your only hope in life and death. That's, that's the only starting place. If you're not a Christian, then it doesn't matter if you listen to anything else I say moving forward. You need Jesus. Repent and believe in Jesus. But after we believe, for those of us who are Christians, the Holy Spirit shows us then that the fourth commandment reveals the idols we have in our hearts. Remember John Calvin said that our hearts are idol factories that were perpetually producing idols. So the fourth commandment, the law reveals to us that we're sinners. So what does the law, what does the fourth commandment reveal to us about our sinful hearts? The fourth commandment reveals to us that we make idols of our time and our work. God is the creator of all things, and so our time belongs to him. Our salvation, our identity, our value is not found in our work. It is found in resting in the finished work of Jesus. But like Israel, we can fall into the ditches of lawlessness or legalism when it comes to work and rest. We live out legalism when we refuse to rest. 
when you neglect your family, when you neglect gathering with the church, when you neglect rest because you feel like you need to work nonstop. There's money to be made. There's corporate ladders to climb. There are brands to build. There are side hustles to pursue. I'll work less when my kids are older. I'll rest when I'm dead. Some of you can never fit, sit still because you feel like you always need to be doing something. This can be lived out legalism. If we view our time like if we're not doing something productive, then it's lazy and we're wasting our time. That can be legalism. Others fall into the ditch of lawlessness, also misunderstanding God's pattern of work and rest. People who won't work. People who won't serve the church. People who are lazy in parenting, who won't discipline their children. Some break the fourth commandment by working when they ought to rest. Others break the fourth commandment by resting when they ought to work. God created us for a pattern of work and rest. Why? For his glory and for our good. So as we read the fourth commandment in light of the good news of Jesus, what are some of the ways that we are prone to break the fourth commandment? Now, this is not exhaustive, but I've got three ways for us. I think these are the three primary culprits, the three ways that we break the fourth commandment as new covenant Christians. The most egregious, egregious, no, that's not how you say it, egregious. I'm looking at my own, say my own, my own writing, but I didn't write it, I typed it. Egregious. Manuscripts, folks. This is, where this is the joy. The most egregious way, John amends it, the most egregious way, okay, it's egregious, it's not agrarious. <laughs> Idiot. The most egregious way that we break the fourth commandment, okay, let's not get off track because this is, this is, this is important, this is serious, um, that we break the fourth commandment is by trying to earn God's favor. We're all guilty of that. That's the primary culprit in how we break the fourth commandment, is that we try to earn God's favor. This is why people are attracted to legalism, because it makes them feel like God is pleased with them based on what they're doing. And so we treat God like he's an angry old boss who's out to get us. And so we need to be on our best behavior so that we can make him proud. This is not the gospel. The gospel tells us that God is pleased with us because we are in Christ. You cannot earn God's favor by being a good person. You cannot earn God's favor by going to church. You cannot earn God's favor by reading your Bible or by praying. You cannot earn God's favor by tithing. 
You cannot earn God's favor by avoiding cussing or alcohol or tobacco or by voting Republican or by only listening to Christian music. If you are a Christian, you cannot earn God's favor. You can't. Because in Christ, you already have it. We need to repent of thinking the things that we do or the things that we don't do are earning us righteous standing before God. That's the first way. Second way, say a second way, is that we break the the fourth commandment is by sinful worry. Sinful worry. Anxiety. Not always sinful, but when we do it sinfully. When we spend our time worrying, we are not resting in Christ. We worry about our money. We worry about our families. We worry about illness. We worry about our jobs. We worry about our stuff. We worry about politics. We worry about everything. We worry about everything. Do you know what your worrying does to help any of those things? Nothing. It does literally 0% to help you in whatever situation you're worrying about. Now, don't get me wrong. This isn't, I'm not offering mere pragmatism, like don't worry because it won't do any good, even though that's true. Like pragmatically speaking, your worrying helps your situation not at all. But there's a theological reason why you ought not to worry. Because God is sovereign. Because there's not a square inch in all of the creation over which Jesus does not say, that is mine. God is sovereign, and if you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, God loves you like he loves Jesus. Man, what are we worried about? We must repent of our worrying. We must rest in Jesus. Jesus tells us that God feeds the birds and he clothes the flowers. Do you think God loves the birds and flowers more than he loves you? We need to repent of our sinful worry. A third way, and this I think is the most tangible for us this morning. Third way we break the commandment is by neglecting to gather with the church for worship on Sunday. The Sabbath was given for worship and rest, but we break the Sabbath when we rest instead of worship. Of course, as Christians, we do not practice the Sabbath on Saturday. The Seventh-day Adventists are very confused on this point. Uh, The Sabbath was Saturday under the Old Covenant, Uh, Pastor Bobby read from the Westminster Shorter Catechism that gave a great little exposition on that. Um, But Jesus resurrected on the first day of the week. And so now Sunday is the New Covenant Sabbath. The New Testament calls Sunday the Lord's Day. And so from the resurrection of Christ forward, the church has always gathered around the Word and around the sacrament every Sunday to honor and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. 
Now, this is an important distinction because many Christians, heck, maybe many of you believe and function as if the Sabbath was abolished with the New Testament. Like, like the Sabbath was an Old Testament thing and we don't do that anymore. But that is not the case. The Sabbath may have been the sign of the Old Covenant, but the Sabbath predates the Old Covenant. We mentioned earlier that the Sabbath was ingrained in the creation order that God created, that he worked for six days, and that God rested on the seventh day. So long before Moses and Israel show up at Mount Sinai, God himself had practiced Sabbath in the creation. The Sabbath is not done away with. The Sabbath is now Sunday as the church gathers for worship. And so gathering for worship on Sunday is not an option for us, but is explicitly commanded by God. Hebrews 10.25 requires that we do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another. Of course, the New Testament is filled with not only examples of the church gathering, but commands. Paul commanding the church to take communion as they gather on the Lord's day, among others. So when you neglect the church, you neglect that which Jesus loves and that which Jesus died for. And so while there are occasions when we are providentially hindered from coming to church, right? we understand that there are times, whether we're out of town, we're sick, something's going on, we are providentially hindered from gathering. Apart from those times, God's expectation for us is that our schedules revolve around Sunday morning, that our schedules are anchored in Sunday worship. What that doesn't mean is that, hey, maybe we'll go to church if we've got nothing else to do. That's not what the fourth commandment means. If coming to church on Sunday is not the pattern of your life and the expectation of your home, hear me, you are breaking the fourth commandment. You are living in sin if that is your mentality. Why is this so important? It's important because God's ordained means of grace for your sanctification are found in the church. The preaching of the word, the sacraments, the waters of baptism, the bread and the wine of the Eucharist. By the way, the sacraments are the signs and seals of the new covenant found only in the church. Baptism disconnected from a local church is not real. Taking communion disconnected from a local church is not real. Maybe you're going swimming. Maybe you're having some bread and wine. You're not getting baptized and you're not taking communion. They are the signs and the seals of the new covenant given to the people of God, the church. That's why you need this. That's why I need this. Not because this is my job. I'm not here because I'm getting paid. I'm here because this is the air I breathe. I'm not trying to like use myself as a righteous example. I'm telling you, like, I need this, man. Like, I would die. I would wither off the vine without the church. Why? Because that's how God made us. You know it too. You may be sitting there mad at me in denial, but you know it when there are seasons where you've been away from the church that your spiritual life wilts 
You know it. You can deny it all you want. Why? Because that's how God made you. The fellowship of the body. These are the means of grace that are not found in your quiet time and they're not found in nature. They are found in the church gathered. Making church a priority is important because if you make church negotiable in your home, it will become dispensable for your kids. Let this be a warning to those of us with young kids. Because there is no doubt in my mind that there are people in the room this morning who have grown kids, and those grown kids have walked away from the church, and part of the reason is that church was not important in their home when they were growing up. Not always, but a lot of times that happens. What is negotiable in one generation is lost by the third. Is church important in your home? Do you take the gathering of the church seriously? In a week-to-week way, there is nothing you have that's more important to do than church. Again, I know we're all providentially hindered from time to time, but listen to me. There's nothing that you have to do every week that's more important at 10.30 on Sunday than this. There's not. That's not my opinion. That's the word of God. Because God owns your time. You don't. When you neglect the church, you're breaking the fourth commandment. When you center your week, when you center your calendar around coming to church on Sunday, in faith, not generic faith, faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, the incarnate Son of God, right? It's not negotiable for us. That's orthodoxy. Trinity, deity of Jesus, we ain't playing is life and death. But when you center your life around that, brothers and sisters, what are you doing? You're keeping the fourth commandment. You are working and resting appropriately. And so let me ask this. Let's, I mean, can you just be honest with your own heart this morning? Aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of the physical and spiritual rat race? Doesn't that just exhaust your soul? Quit trying to earn God's favor. Quit worrying. Quit depriving your soul of the means of grace found only in the local church. Rest in Jesus because Jesus is alive and Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Rest in Jesus because he is God's prophet who speaks through the preaching of the word. God speaks through the preaching of the word. Where there is no preaching, God is not speaking. In case you're wondering. But rest in that. Rest in Jesus because he is God's priest interceding for you every moment. Rest in Jesus because he is God's king, rightly ruling the world in the church. 
you can rest in Jesus because Jesus takes no days off. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we repent of our restlessness. We repent of our lawlessness as we neglect the pattern of work and rest that you have given us in the fourth commandment that is fulfilled in your son Jesus who is our true Sabbath rest. Father, we repent of our legalism where we add unbiblical burden and bind the consciences of our brothers and sisters by calling something sin that is not sin. Father, we ask that you would sanctify us so that we do not seek to earn your favor through our good works, but that we would rest in the good works, the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus. Father, we repent of our sinful worry, of our sinful anxiety, where we are not trusting in your sovereignty and your goodness. Father, we repent for neglecting the gathering of Jesus' bride. Where your word is preached and where your sacraments are experienced. Father, I pray for those in the room who don't have faith in Jesus that your Holy Spirit would raise their hearts from the dead. That they would repent and believe. Father, I pray for those in the room who in your providence are here this morning, but for them, church is negotiable. Father, I pray that you would crush their idols and that they would trust that you know what's best for their time even more than they do. Bless us now as we come to your table. Father, give us hearts that rejoice in the bread, in the wine, because they point us to your son, Jesus, whose body was broken for us and whose blood was shed for us. We rest in him and we rest in him alone. We pray, our Father, in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit.